Well, family, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and jump with me to Hebrews chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. We're going to read the first 13 verses today. We've got a lot, but um, it's good, I, I promise you. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet. Are y'all enjoying this Hebrew series? I got a few yeses. I don't know if that's a good thing or if it's really messing with your heart. Come on now. Thank you, Alex. I hear you back there. Now, I'm going to tell you, this has been a good reminder for me, walking through the book of Hebrews in a season like we're in today, to remember that Jesus reigns supreme. Everything that's going on in our life is easy to turn to everything else around us, but to call us back to the Bible, call us back to Scripture, call us back to Jesus is something I need in this season, and I'm going to venture out and say that y'all need it too. That's why we're walking through Hebrews today. Hebrews chapter 4, if you got it, go ahead and say got it. Starting in verse 1, the text reads, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who firmly, formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The very words of God. Amen. Today, before you take your seat, I want to preach on the topic of restful striving. A restful striving. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And as it says, it's sharpened in a two-edged sword. God, I pray that you would speak through me, that you would decrease me so that you increase in this place. Father, we need a word from you. May you be lifted up, God. Get glory in this place. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, and we all said together, amen and amen. You can be seated. Well, I was listening to the radio this past week, and the topic on the radio station was on having a good theology of death or understanding death as a Christian, which I don't believe most of us have, if we're honest. If we're honest, this is, where, this is why most of us during this pandemic, we live from a place of fear instead of faith. And if we're really honest, many of us are still sitting in that place today. One thing they said on the show was that in order to have a good theology or understanding of death as a Christian, it means to not fear the inevitable, this being death. And the reason you don't fear it is because for the Christian, the rest or eternal destination is in heaven. But I believe this is hard for us to believe. 
I believe this is hard because you know why? We're constantly stuck living in the now, right now. So when a pandemic hits, immediately we're overwhelmed with fear and our world feels as if it's seemingly ending because our now is completely messed up. And what we forget quickly, very quickly, is that God's working or his promise of eternal life still exists. So in actuality, the Christian shouldn't fear what's about to happen to him on this side of heaven or fear death at all because heaven awaits you. See, that's simply easier said than done. Because most Christians, and I'm not trying to be condemning here or anything, but hear me, most Christians are nominal at best. I mean, they're Christian by name. But they don't really believe in Jesus. May come to church every now and then. We may even pick up the Bible and then read a few scriptures. But when it really comes down to it, they don't really believe in Jesus. They're cultural, nominal Christians at best, but not true believers. And many times, hear me. As I step into your neighborhood a bit, many times you don't even know if this is you until a trial hits. You don't even know until you're tested in the midst of a storm. Well, I can venture out and say, y'all, we all been tested in the midst of this pandemic. And I think it would do us justice to do inventory on our walks with God before we go back to normal because I can almost guarantee he's taught all of us a thing or two about where we stand with him. Well, on the radio show, they're telling this story about Gary Witherall. They're talking about death and the theology of death, they tell this story about Gary Witherall. He's an author, a teacher, and he was a missionary at the time. There's this story, and he's a missionary in Lebanon with his wife, and they're out on the mission field. And one day, while Gary's not with his wife, his wife was shot by al-Qaeda. Upon hearing the news, Gary leaves where he's at, and he rushes to the hospital He's hoping to find his wife there surviving and doing well, but upon arrival to the hospital, he see his, sees his wife lying in a pool of her own blood on the bed. In this moment, he, he drops to his knees next to the bed, and he lays his arms over her, and he starts weeping. He starts crying. And he tells the story. He says, it was in that moment that I heard a very clear voice. He said, Gary, if you can't worship me right now, then you won't ever worship me truly again. Gary, at this moment, I don't know if I could have did this. He sits there and he keeps his hands in his wife's blood. His arms are draped over her. In that moment, he starts to sing praise songs to Jesus. He starts to pray out loud for the attacker and those that were involved. And, and he's not praying for their reven the revenge. No, no, he's praying for them to come to know Jesus. And you may be sitting there saying, well, this is crazy. How in the world could he do that? That's his spouse that just got killed. He said, how could he do that? that? There's no way that that can happen. But hear me, in that moment, being a missionary lost all its sexiness. There wasn't nothing cool about loving Jesus in this moment when my wife just got killed. There's nothing cool about I'm going to go share Jesus and we're going to get some people saved over here in Lebanon. But my wife just got killed. You see, in that moment, Gary had to make a decision because if he's truly about living for Jesus in that moment, he had a choice to make. And see, I believe Gary, right there in that moment, as horrible as this circumstance was, 
He was able to praise God because he knew that his and his wife's eternal destination didn't reside on this side of heaven, but it was in heaven with God, their father. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 56, look at it with me. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, how many of us in Gary's position could truthfully, truthfully believe and say the victory belongs to Jesus? My spouse just got killed, but the victory belongs to Jesus. My finances have all ran out. I'm broke, but the victory belongs to Jesus. Everybody has turned their back on me in this pandemic. Everything seems like it's down and out. I'm in another trial after another trial, but the victory belongs to Jesus. How many of us can be honest and say that that's what we would have been saying? Family, today the writer challenges us once more in the book of Hebrews to strive to endure and enter this rest that Jesus offers. He says, don't, don't, don't be like the nation of Israel. Trust him and, and endure and rest. You see, the sin of the Israelites was to not persevere believing in God. See, their faith was exposed. As opposed to Gary, they didn't worship God in the midst of their trial. Friends, we're coming out of a pandemic more and more every day. More of us are getting vaccinated. More y'all are in here. A lot of you have gotten vaccinated. More of us are coming out of our houses. More of us are coming back to church. More of us are having face-to-face dinners. We're doing all this and the whole nines. We're, we're coming out of our homes. We're coming out of this pandemic. But hear me, it would be a tragedy If we just go back to normal. We went through this whole pandemic and we just get back to where we were right before the pandemic. That would be a tragedy. See, God may not have caused this pandemic to happen, but he sure allowed it to happen. And hear me, if we haven't grown to trust him more and see the futility of this life, then we have missed him in this season. I know this is tough. I'm coming to your neighborhood. Y'all stick with me. Today, I want you to ask yourself this question. Have I learned to trust God more or have I learned to trust myself more? Through this season, have I, have I learned to trust God more or have I turned my back to the way to him and, and learn to trust myself more. I want you to think about that. Don't be so quick to answer it. See, the writer here in this text, he's, he's continually calling us to endure and to rest in God. He says that rest that God offers is still available. It didn't end with the nation of Israel. It's still here. I got three points for you today. Number one, the tension of the now and not yet. That's all throughout the book of Hebrews. I'm going to talk about that, the tension of the now and not yet. Number two, true Sabbath rest. True Sabbath rest. Number three, keep striving and holding on to the word of God. Keep striving and holding on to the word of God. The text begins in verse one with the word, therefore. Everyone say, therefore. Therefore, which means that This is a carryover from the verses that preceded or came before it. And the reason I point out words like therefore, you may have heard me say this last week or time and time again. When you see these words like therefore, they're very important in Scripture because it teaches us to read Scripture in its context. This keeps us from cherry-picking verses that we like out of the Bible and then going and tat them on our body, and then we, we should have read the whole context before we tatted it because it don't mean what we thought it meant. <laughs> so so here, here's something I need you to stick in your back pocket. Take it home with you. Always read scriptures around the verses that you're studying. 
Always do that. Because when you look at this passage today, you see that it's a new chapter, chapter 4. But if you go into the original writings, there's no chapters in there. There's no uh, headings in there or anything like that. It's a letter. Last time I checked, letters don't have chapters in it. And so if you read this wrong, you will not read it in its context. So we got to pay attention to this word, therefore. So by way of reminder, when he says, therefore, this context around it makes us look at the week, at the week before. We looked at chapter 3. And the writer began with this warning to the readers as well as to us today to not be like the nation of Israel who did not trust God when they were freed from Egypt by the leadership of Moses. See, the Israels of that day, they didn't believe. They didn't believe, even though they had saw all these miracles that God had done in their lives, all these plagues and things that had happened to get them free from Egypt, they still did not believe. And the text told us last week, and because of that, they did not enter the rest that God gave. See, the Israelites, they wanted deliverance, the deliverance that God offered and the destiny of the promised land that awaited them without all the heartache in between. Essentially, they wanted their deliverance straight to destiny. And as I told you last week, that's not the way God works. we got to go through some stuff. See, when God saves us or delivers us from our sin or wherever we were before we came to know Jesus, there is a process of development that he has to take us through in order to get to our destiny. And, and as I said last week, many of us, just like the nation Israel, nation Israel we, we, we suffer from <laughs> this, this deliverance to destiny type of syndrome. We don't want any chaos. We don't want any hard events in our lives. Pastor, you can keep that. I don't want to develop. I'm good. I just want to go straight to where he's taking me. See, there's this, I like to call it, there's this, this false entitlement that exists within our faith. Well, God, I gave you my life, so when am I going to get my blessing? God, I, I stopped fooling around. I'm not having sex anymore. I'm not drinking. I'm not doing any of that stuff, God. So when you're going to bless me, I'm waiting. God, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the scripture, but, but I still have trials happening time and time again. God, when are you going give to me, give me some, I, I need some fulfillment. I need some satisfaction. Why is life still so hard? Hear me. Could it be, and I'm going to step into your neighborhood a little bit more. Could it be? That you really didn't trust God with your whole life in the first place? God, you can have this part of my life, but I'm going to hold on to this part. Could it be that you trusted God for the destination you saw in your head or you desired in your heart, but you didn't really want God's will for your life? I know. Or maybe you got caught up looking at somebody else's life and all that God was doing in their life, and you see him taking them to mountaintop experience and doing all these things, and they're reaching their destiny, and you're getting caught up and distracted by looking at them that you don't even notice what God is doing in your life. And now you ended up in this parenthetical wilderness where you're grumbling about God not working, and God, you're not doing this in my life, and God, you're not showing up, and God, I'm following you. And all the while, God is over here on the sideline like, I'm sitting, I've been here. I haven't let, left you. I'm with you. I just need you to trust and believe. Let me help you out, family. Hear me. Your destiny or what God wants to do in your life on this side of heaven may not and most likely won't look like anybody else's. So hear me in that when, when things get hard, don't hijack God's will for your life and turn it into something it's not supposed to be. Well, God didn't do it, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and work it out in my own strength. I'm going to do that. We got a problem with that in Chicago because we think we can do everything by the sweat of our brow. We're going to work real hard. Stop hijacking God's plan for your life. Here, hear me. Try digging in a little bit more. Try trusting him a bit more. Try picking up this scripture and continually consuming it day in and day out. Instead of moving and working so hard, try resting and knowing that a sovereign Savior loves you. And if that's true, hear me. He can and he will take care of you. But you got to believe. you got to trust him. See, the good news is even if this world seemingly gets harder, which Scripture tells us it will get harder, that destiny of yours 
Even because, even if the world and the fallen nature, the destiny seems like it's never really going to be fully realized, hear me, there's a heavenly destiny that awaits the believer in eternity with God. That's what keeps you going. Hold on. See, the writer is simply trying to convey that our destiny, hear me, our true destiny, our rest is not found in a place. It's not found in some arrival point. It's not found in something that we dreamed up in our lives that's supposed to be for us, but it's found in a person, and his name is Jesus. It's found in knowing Christ. So the writer, he, he takes all that into account. He continues writing on the day, and he says that the rest that Jesus offers is, is still available today. And I need you to remember this isn't just, a, this isn't just an eternal rest. This is a, a today rest. This is a, a rest for today and a rest for in heaven, the now and the not yet. As I mentioned, that tension, we, we constantly as Christians, we dwell, dwell. And not even just Christians, you're in this now and the not yet. What's to come after this life? I'm here, but what's after that? And hear me, what you believe about the future informs how you live today. If you believe all I have is today, this carpe diem type of mentality, I'm going to live it to the full today, YOLO, you only live once, all I got is me today, then what you're going to do is you're going to step over everyone and anything to make sure you achieve happiness today. You got this fly by the seat of your mentality. You don't plan anything. You're just going to live for the day. You're going to make sure you're happy today. You're going to do all these things. That, that, that's, that, that's if you're thinking about all I got is today. You, you're not even thinking about the future. You're living about today, the now. But then some people dwell in the not yet, and they're living in this place of, oh, I got to plan about everything. I got to plan out my future. I got to plan about next month. I got to plan about next year. And you do all that in order to enjoy today, because if you don't do that, you can't enjoy today. Thinking about today, just today, makes you anxious. Hear me, what I'm really trying to get at, family, is that we don't do a good job managing the tension of the now and the not yet. We tend to live in extremes. So the writer addresses this. Look back at the text with me in verse 9. He speaks of Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. The text says, look at it with me, verse 9 and 10. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The question when reading this becomes, well, what is Sabbath rest? Because it says that the believer or the people of God can rest in God. So, well, what did God rest from? Okay, let's flip back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, the creation story. This is where God created everything, and on the seventh day, he rested. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the solar system. He created the, the land, the heaven. He created earth. He created animals, plants, you and I. He created humans, all of these things, everything the eye can see and touch. God created all of that. And then he rests on the seventh day because everything, watch this, everything that he made was good and perfect. He rested in all that he made, his works. Let me say it this way. He rested in his work of perfection. See, this is before sin came into the world. Nothing was tainted. It was all perfect. There was perfect peace between creation and God. There was perfect peace between man and God. All of this was perfect. There's no separation until Adam eats from this tree and then sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3. So what the writer is essentially saying here is that the believer can rest in the sovereign finished work of God. See, this is a rest that the believer enters in, not by any work you do, not by any merit, not being a good person. No, it's solely by God's work. And somebody's sitting there saying, well, Pastor D, that's Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. But what happens after the fall? What about now? Well, let me remind you what the writer said last week in chapter 3, verse 14. Look at it with me. He says, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So for the believer today, our rest comes in the finished work of Christ on the cross. But see, if we're honest, like I said last week, this is problematic. 
We live in Chicago. We work hard. Everything in our life is based off of our performance and doing well in life. And so when we read that our salvation or our rest or our peace comes from somebody else's work, this doesn't really make sense. This is hard for us to accept. But see, this is where we miss it. Hear me, the right, there, there's a reason the writer says Sabbath rest and not rest. Because Sabbath rest is a rest that comes from a sense of completion and satisfaction. Hear me, God doesn't say rest or take a Sabbath so you can just have a day off. We got to make this clear. No, no. When you take a Sabbath, it's time to slow down and remember the finished work of God. See, the Israelites, th this is what they missed. They missed that God was a, was a God that created all things and that he's finished work and that Sabbath rest still exists in him. See, the Sabbath is not just about you not working. It's about slowing and stopping to remember the goodness of God on your behalf, which now gives you rest. See, for the believer, it's, it's stopping. It's slowing down and remembering the finished work of Christ on the cross. And through his work, you now have eternal life if you believe. You're fully approved. You're fully loved by God through Christ's work. See, if you just simply take a day off from work and say, this is my Sabbath, you have missed the point of Sabbath rest. You're simply undervaluing or devaluing what God has done. Sabbath rest is a soul rest. This is the place we work, the place we live from. Sabbath really isn't just a day. Yeah, you need to have your day that you call it a Sabbath. Yes, you need to have that. But our Sabbath should trickle into the understanding of Sabbath, should trickle into everything we do in life. Let me see if I can make this plain because I don't know if y'all follow me. No amens, no talking, nothing up in here. Everybody, if you work in here... There's always another email. Some of your jobs, they don't really stop. There's always another email to be opened. There's always another phone call you can make. There's always another person that you need to meet with. Your job essentially just, just feels like it never stops. Amen, somebody. Y'all can be honest. So in essence, when, when you take a day off, it really isn't restful because you got to go back to the same job you left that same email you didn't open there's always more to do there's always something to finish and even though you take a day off you you got to go back and finish what you didn't finish so you're not essentially resting or taking a sabbath sabbath rest is a soul rest that rests in the finish work of Christ that says, I can't work hard enough. I can't achieve enough to get the eternal peace, the eternal rest that my soul longs for. And guess what? Here's the good news. You don't have to work for it because Jesus has already done the work on the cross. All you got to do is trust and rest. So as I was saying earlier, Knowing what God has done on your behalf through Jesus, that affirms your future. The truth affects how you live today. That truth affects your today. What does that mean? Follow me with this. It means that I can work hard at my job doing the best I can and not worry about the approval of my boss and my coworkers because I'm fully approved and loved by God. This means that I can work hard and not worry about the future because if I believe, then I work from a place free of worry, knowing that God assures my future. This means I can live free from worry of death, even in a pandemic, because I know heaven awaits me. Now hear me, this doesn't mean go out and live some reckless lives. Do what you want, do all this and that, because now that's taking advantage of the grace of God. That's taking advantage of his goodness. 
But instead, what it means is that I now live not for myself anymore, but I live for the one who saved me. I live now for an audience of one. I live for Jesus. See, but here's the thing. We get this mixed up a lot of times. And, and we think that now that we live for Jesus and he did all the work on my behalf, that I ain't got to do nothing. I, I, I live for Jesus. He worked on my behalf so I can essentially be lazy. I mean, think about this. Have y'all ever, because I got I to dig into this a little bit. Sometimes we're Christians and we, we, we don't do anything anymore. God, God's working on my behalf. He's doing all this when you, when you read the Bible and you read the book of Acts and you look at the apostles after Jesus ascended to heaven, y'all, these are some of the most get-after-it, go-hard-in-the-paint type of dudes, I mean, at their job. I've, ne- I've never seen this before. And when you read it, you read about these guys going hard at their jobs, the job God gave them to go out and share the gospel, Acts 1-8, to the, to the ends of the earth. They go hard to the point to where they're beheaded for their faith. They're burned at the stake. They're thrown off a cliff. They're locked in jail for the job and believing in Jesus. Nothing about that is lazy. So, so hear me. When, 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 when we say live as Christ or we live for, a, live for Christ, there, there's no higher standard. Somewhere we get this mixed up. When we start living for Jesus, the standard gets relaxed. No, there's no higher standard. Jesus lived a perfect life because God's standard is perfection. So hear me as a Christian who doesn't, if you're a Christian and you say, and you don't work hard, you don't go hard at what you're doing, or you're essentially lazy, y'all hear me, that, that's an oxymoron. Lazy and Christian, they don't mix. Take that home with you, because I know I stepped in someone's neighborhood. See, the two don't mix. So when people say, Pastor D, Pastor D, I'm just waiting on God to do something in my life. I'm just waiting for him to move. And you're not doing anything. Y'all, I get extremely puzzled because I'm like, that, that, this makes no sense. You're waiting on God. And you're not doing anything. Y'all hear me? Waiting on God or following God doesn't mean don't do anything. It doesn't mean be lazy. The text says, hear God and enter Sabbath rest, which means listen to him as you go and remember what he's done on your behalf. So as you keep going and as you keep working, remember that it's not you that got you there to the point where you never get to the point and say, I did all this on my own. Because hear me, whether you're a believer or you're not in here, the only reason you get to work and do what you do is because God worked on your behalf first. He worked in the beginning and then if Keep reading the Bible, it says Jesus died for the sins of the world. So that means that God worked on your behalf for you. So now we get to work. We get the privilege of doing work in society. We get the privilege of living life, and that is never to be taken for granted. Sabbath rest is not just a day off or time to be lazy. It's rest for your soul in Jesus. It's a reminder of his goodness that informs how you live. Now, I know I just said some things that you're grappling with, and I can imagine they're challenging because some of you are probably sitting here saying, well, okay, Pastor D, I hear you, but how, how, how do I work hard at what I'm doing, but then yet still stay in Christ and rest? How do you you rest and work hard at the same time? Well, look at verses 11 through 13 with me. The text says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, if I'm honest with you, family, as I was studying this scripture and I'm looking through this, I, 
I was having some trouble with this one because I'm looking at verse 11 where it talks about striving to enter the rest of God. And then I'm looking at verse 12 and 13 where it's talking about the word is living and active and sharpening two-edged sword. I'm like, how, did that, what is, how does that connect? What he's trying to get across to us is that through this and studying, see what the, the writer is, what he's trying to say and what he's trying to get across to us is that in order for us to run the race that's set before us, in order for us to live a life that's compatible with the scriptures, that's compatible with the rest of God, y'all hear me? We got to be hidden in the word of God. We have to read our word. Essentially, the writer is telling us, listen, to abide. Jesus says in John chapter 15, while the disciples are with him that night before he's taken, look at it. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you and you will bear fruit. He goes on to say in that passage of John 15, if you don't abide in me, you will be thrown into the fire or in other words, eternal separation from God. But if you abide in him, then you will now glorify the Father and you prove now to be his disciples. He ends this segment in the passage in verse 11 of chapter 15 by saying, my joy, may my joy dwell in you so now that your joy can be full. Here in this passage, John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about what you do here on this earth now affecting you throughout eternity. But he's also not just talking about what you do here affecting you for eternity. He's saying what you do here or eternity affecting your joy right now. There's that tension of the now and the not yet. Essentially, again, what you believe about tomorrow affects how you live today. Let me say it this way. Who you believe for tomorrow affects how you live today. But then the question comes, comes back around and says, well, the text says, well, strive still. How do, I, how do I strive to enter God's rest while abiding in Christ now? Because the word striving, Pastor D, it infers action. How is that resting? Glad you asked. Look at verse 12. Because this is where verse 12 makes sense. Because the way we stay striving after God's rest with Jesus, not bodily here or God speaking audibly to us, is by abiding in the word of God. Do not miss this. The text says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit and joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This text tells us two things. Number one, that the Word of God, this Bible right here, is not something that we just read on a day-to-day -day basis. We do read it daily, but it's also alive. It's telling us that this Word is God's Word. It's living and active. It's essentially Him working through His Word. Number two, it lets us know that the Word exposes all. It exposes all because it's simply the word of God. So let me, let me say it like this. Y'all ever been in, service, in a service before? You hear the preacher preach and you're like, yo, he is, boy, he's messing my heart all up. That word is getting me. And you feel exposed in that moment. Some of y'all right there right now, you're like, that's me. Like, you, you feel exposed. And the writer essentially is saying, that's what the word of God does. It exposes you. Hear me. By reading the word of God and living by it, you will not only find yourself now living out God's plan for your life, but you'll also find yourself living in God's rest. Y'all hear me. We make living for Jesus and being a Christian way too hard. We make this thing way too spiritual. Y'all, Jesus is simple. He says, abide in me and I in you. And how do we abide? One, by believing in Jesus. Two, by abiding in the scriptures. By living according to the word of God. Yeah, we make Christianity way too hard. And you know why? Because when we read this Bible, we start reading it, and it says some things in here that we don't like, or we don't feel like it's right. 
And then all of a sudden, we're like, I ain't going to live by that. No, no, no. Or we start reading, it's like, no, that, that's, not my, that's not God's plan for my life. I see how he used David. He had to run for his life for 15 years. I don't want that in my life, no. So what we do, instead of living by the way or the word of God, we start living the way we think it should be, and then we want God to line up with it that way. Y'all, I know I just stepped into someone's kitchen. I'm probably in your bedroom right now. Y'all too quiet. I, I know it's there. See, see, hear me. Jesus doesn't say, listen to this, he doesn't say, abide in me, then see how you feel about it, and then decide if you like it, and I will abide in you. No, he says, abide in me, and I in you. This means I got you. Trust me. Abide in me no matter what. I got you. It may not look like you want it to, it may not feel like you want it to, but hold on, I got you. Friends, this is why the Israelites missed it. They're out in the middle of the wilderness, and they're looking around like, God, this don't look like milk and honey. There's nothing good about this. So they're like, well, man, God must not be true. He must not be faithful. He must not be a good God. We're sitting out here in the middle of the wilderness. He must not be true. So they stopped believing in him, and they missed the promised land. 11-day journey took 40 years. They missed it because of their unbelief. Hear me. If they had just trusted the God of the scriptures and, and they remembered the God of the ages, the one that freed them from Egypt, if they had trusted in his true Sabbath rest that was eternally offered to them, then hear me, they wouldn't have been worried about the wilderness. For that, for that matter, they wouldn't have even been thinking about the land of milk and honey because they knew this God that they served, that he would bring them through the wilderness, but yet they lost sight. Y'all, they would have understood that this earth was not their home. Hear me, hear me. Too many of us, too many of us today, we're too enamored, or should I say, we're too overwhelmed with our present. What's happened today? You're so overwhelmed with your present that you can't see a future. You can't rest because all you see is chaos all over your life now. Well, friends, can I tell you something? That's where abiding in the scripture comes in. Because when I read the Bible, when I flip to John chapter 16, it tells me that this world is not going to get better. It actually tells me that it's going to get worse. But then when I keep abiding in the scriptures and I keep reading through this Bible, when I get to Revelation 21 and 22, what I see? I see a new, eternal, a, a new eternal destination for the believer, one that has no pain, no tears, no suffering, no corruption, none of that stuff. I see a new heaven and a new earth where I will dwell with God and he with me. That's what abiding in the word does for you. It'll let you see some things that you don't want to see, some truths that are uncomfortable, but then it'll also affirm you of who you are in Christ and the goodness that is to come. See, too many times we read this Bible and we let our feelings and our circumstances dictate the way we read the scriptures and our view of God. And that's the opposite of what God intended. Y'all, scripture, his word is to inform you of how we should live our lives. Scripture is not supposed to line up with what we want. I know that that's not rocket science, but it's really not. And I know some of you are like, well, Pastor D, I understand that. I get that. I know it's not supposed to line up with what I want, but, but I'm, I'm still trying to make it. I, it's not lined not line up with what I want, but here's the reality. Here, here's, and I'm going to step in a little bit more because I, I got to keep it real. We got to keep it real in here. We may know Scripture, but we're not really living according to it. See, there's, there's one thing to know something, and there's a whole other thing to live by it. Y'all hear me. The Pharisees knew the word of God, but they still killed Jesus. Let that sink in a bit. Scripture is not supposed to feel good at times. You know why? Simply because it's not our will. This is God's word. This is his will. And I don't care how spiritual you think you are, and I'm throwing myself in this boat too. Y'all, look at your skin. We're, we're, we're still in the flesh. 
which means that we're going to desire things that this world has to offer. We're going to be tempted by the things the world has to offer. We're going to go after those things instead of what God has for us. So you know how you combat that? Abiding in the Scriptures. Letting them inform the way you live your life. See, family, Scripture will remind you of who you are, what still plagues you, and at the same time, as I said before, it'll let you know that you're loved in Christ and understand the hope and the freedom you have in Him, too. It'll give you all of those things. So hear me, what's Sabbath rest as opposed to striving to enter rest? The striving he's talking about here in this text is not a workspace, but instead... It's found by dwelling in the Word of God, which is living and active. Again, rest is not found in what you do. Rest is found in our belief and our continual trust in God. So, my friend, just as God completed creation, then he said it was good and he rested. Christians enter into his rest through recognizing that Christ's work of redeeming us from sin is also completed. See, the promise of entering now into this rest means ceasing from all spiritual strivings that reflect one's uncertainty about their final destiny. It means enjoyment of being established in the presence of God means to share in the everlasting joy that, that God entered in when he rested on the seventh day. Y'all, I believe that this is what Gary believed and he felt on that day when he draped over his wife and he started to sing songs. And this is what believers are to rest in on a day-to-day basis. What is that? The certainty of rest in God certainty of rest in God, completion, satisfaction. The scriptures remind us of where this rest is found. And as I said last week, that same reminder comes through your church and should be in your community. We need each other. So my friend, once again, make the daily decision of believing in Jesus and resting in a sovereign Savior. Make the daily, not the one time, the daily decision of believing in Jesus and resting in the sovereign Savior. As we end, I'm going to venture out and say there's people in here that need to make that decision today. Whether it's your first time saying, Jesus, I need you, my Lord and Savior. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Maybe that's you saying, I need you, Jesus. And I need the rest that you offer. I relinquish the throne of my life and I give it to you. If you pray that prayer and that's your belief, if you're here or even online, I say welcome to the family. But if you're here and you're saying, Pastor D, that's me and I, I gave my life to Jesus, but I continually struggle on a day-to-day basis. Family, I need you to pray the prayer too. Daily. Continually saying, Jesus, take the will of my life. I need you, Lord. And in that prayer, may he give you the assurance of the rest you have in him, not only here today, but forever and eternity in heaven when you're with him. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. You are truly an awesome God. God, we give you glory this morning. And we do indeed thank you for the rest that you offer. A rest that's not only in eternity, but a rest that's here today. A rest that that you rested in on the seventh day after you created all things. A rest that's in Jesus that we don't have to continue running hard and trying to be holy in our own will but you are already holy and perfect and the sacrifice 
for us dying the death that we should have died so now we can rest in knowing that our future is assured our future is affirmed in you Jesus so God let us live from that place of affirmation let us live from that place of approval let us live in light of that knowing that we are sons and daughters of the most high God when the world tells us something else and everything's based off our performance let us be reminded that whether we fail or we succeed you still love us God may we rest in that let us fall deeper in love with you because of how you loved us first it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together.